Okay, episode one. This is the uh, podcast. I'm not sure how this is going to work, but uh, we shall find out. So this is the extraordinary progress of a procrastinating maker. Episode one, and essentially this is a podcast of me driving to work on my day job. My name's Steve, I'm a 44-year-old IT professional working in the charity sector and one of my massive passions is making. Where the hell do I even start? I guess we start at the beginning, right? why concentration will wane from time to time and that's because I'm concentrating on the traffic and decision making that is in front of me like don't stumbled across um, a technical entrepreneur called Gary Vaynerchuk. He is a particularly loud and 
foul-mouthed entrepreneur. Uh, I probably do him a disservice by calling him a loudmouth and uh, <laughs> loudmouth and foul-languaged user. But I mean, that's how I see it, and I don't see that as a negative. I see that actually as a refreshing positive. Somebody who actually reflects me. Somebody who's made it. So I'm, I'm really hyped about the stuff that Gary Vaynerchuk is putting out. He puts out a ton of content, like an insane amount of content uh, that uh, adds value to his audience. And that's where this podcast has come in. And so I've been inspired to start making a podcast. And I know this, the, the podcasts are going to be crap at the beginning. I know that. But if you start, if you, if you don't start, if you always wait for things to be perfect, you will never start. So this is me starting my journey. So if you are listening to this podcast, I thank you very much for taking the time and patience to sit through this because this might well be So as I started the podcast by saying I am, I'm actually a 43 year old, I'm 44, I'm aging myself early, I am a 43 year old IT professional, uh, I work in the charity sector, uh, I work in service management, so I don't get down and dirty in the weeds with technical stuff so much, not anymore, I used to do that, I worked for 12 years in telecoms role as a technician, then on to be a trainer, and then went on to be a business analyst, and uh, yeah, been in IT probably 20, 22 years now, and never, you know, absolutely have a passion for IT, but equally have a passion for making things, and it's only been recently that it's that, that I've had a, a dawning moment. It's like an epoch moment to say, right, I, I I actually understand where this stems from. And as a kid, I used to love making things, taking things apart. My upbringing isn't particularly affluent. Um, I would say I'm probably pretty average. My father was a carpenter. My mother was an office worker, and you know, during the um, during the seventies and eighties, you know, we went through a number of like recession periods. My father was self-employed, so there was times when he didn't have any work, so therefore the income into the household was was down. So I didn't have a lot of things. Which is kind of frustrating as a kid because you never, you know, see my kid, you know, other kids, my friends, uh, having toys and stuff, clothes, branded clothes, that sort of stuff. 
picked on a little bit for that sort of stuff. Um, but it motivated me to actually make my own toys to take things apart to understand how they worked. And at the beginning, it was just like breaking stuff, right? You couldn't figure out how to get anything, so you pried it open. You were getting in there, no, 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 uh, yes, buts or babies, you were getting in there. It was never going back together. The next time, <coughs> the next time you took something apart, you knew where the screws were. You knew the tricks of where they hide them, where the stickers are that you lift to, to reveal the heads. So I had to get, I had to get good at putting things back together pretty quickly because my parents weren't too chuffed with me taking all of this stuff apart and then it ending up going in the bin. So. side of me I didn't know it at the time it was a maker side maker movement wasn't a thing back then so certainly not in the UK so I went on into learning manufacturing uh, where I live uh, in South Wales in the UK it's a pretty industrialized area and the majority of the work at the time it could be like, for example, an automotive assembly line. It could be uh, aerospace. We've got uh, planes that are put together in, the, in, in, in Wales. We're talking like Boeing 747 parts for the A380, that sort of stuff. That's, that's more recent. But the major industry was steel. So I went into steel manufacturing education. So I was learning glass furnaces and we're talking the heavy end of the industry not the light end. So we've got, we had at the time one of the largest if not the largest continuous rolling mills in Europe. That was something like between seven and nine miles long. And yeah, that was that was that was going to be my future working in the steel industry. Did sand casting, learned all of that, and then that industry just died nigh on overnight. It was a bit of a. It was it was clear that they weren't taking on new staff. The staff that were already there was, was kind of hunkering down hoping that they were going to keep their jobs and everything was going to stay the same. And the reality of it was that it was it was dying a death. And uh, the plant has, has been decommissioned and it is a ghost of what it was before. There is still some elements of the plant still there, but very, very little and soon to be none. So that changed the course of my career path and kind of hibernated my maker side because there wasn't really much for me to do to express myself in that way because I was of an age where I was starting now to be expected to earn a living and it was time for me to go out and earn a crust. So 
do building jobs, labouring, digging holes, carrying bricks and blocks, that sort of stuff. But it's not really what I wanted. Um, I was able to pick up a job doing alarm, intruder alarm installation, fire alarm installation and servicing. And that was a good job, got me around local areas, that's kind of like, you know, we're talking about, about, I'm 18 at this time, right? So I'm starting to put the feelers out, I'm starting to see things beyond what lay directly out of my front door. So, it wasn't until one of my colleagues in the intruder alarm industry got me into computers. I mean, up until this point, I used computers in school. I used them before college, but never really at home for recreational purposes, much beyond sort of Pong, right? The gaming console. I think the first computer we ever had in the house was a ZX81. sorts of opportunities and I think 
right up until maybe 15, 20 years ago, I slept walked through most of my life up until that point. Just quite happy to deal with what was in front of me, not really having a great deal of ambition. It's, uh, yeah, it's a bit sad really, a bit, 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 bit of a regret for me in that there's wasted time there. Could have, could have been so much further down the road. So that brings me to today, where ultimately, uh, my, from my creative point of view, about four years ago, uh, I got introduced through certain social uh, characters about 3D printing, uh, specifically the 3D Printing Nerd and Barnaby's on YouTube. And you know, I I looked at these things and thought, my God, you can you can these the, these the ideas that you've got in your head, you can put into a computer and take it from your brain to a physical object inside of like a day or two. That's just 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 blew my mind. And I knew at that point I had to have a three D printer. Had to. There was no there was no ifs buts or maybes. But. I'm, like I said, at this point, I am married, I've got a mortgage, I've got kids, I've got bills. There's not a huge amount of disposable income. And looking at 3D printers at the time, even the put-together-yourself kits cost in excess of a thousand pounds. That's not even looking at, like, a turnkey printer like the Ultimaker, for example. Uh, these, this, this would have been like uh, make a bot cupcake uh, sort of days, so where the the frame of the the machine was laser cut, wasn't wasn't as plush and as uh, Apple esque as the Ultimaker is today. So I was toying with a few different ideas about different 3D printers that I was gonna, I could potentially have. I did my research looking into SLA printing, uh, into FDM printing, um, stereolithography is SLA, and fused deposition modeling FDM or FFF fused filament fabrication, whichever, which is sort of filament-based material type printing. I looked into that and I was so close, so close to actually building myself a DIY SLA printer, which mechanically was far simpler to put together because it's a single motor um, to could take control of the Z-axis than uh, all the other Cartesian, Delta, Core XY type printers. So the thing that put me off the SLA printer was slicing. I couldn't find slicing software that was available for SLA where the FDM slicers were readily available. Some were provided by manufacturers of a a produced product like the Ultimaker, so Ultimaker Cura. There was some open source 
freeware types of applications like Slicer or Slick3R, depending on how you want to call it. Uh, so that was the route I went. So I chose why I chose this, Del the, the, this particular model. I chose a Delta printer. So Cartesians uh, essentially have one motor for each of the axes, X, Y, and Z. And each motor is responsible for moving the tool head or the extruder hot end combo uh, in that axis. Whereas a Delta printer works very differently. It works in the sense that all three axes, X, Y, and Z, that they're, they're arranged vertically in towers and there is what's called an end effector, which is attached to those towers and is moved around by all three motors working in coordination, like a ballet, to get the XY to draw out the object and then the Z to get the height. It's, it's, it, it was, I, I when, when I got Frank, uh, and it was called, I'll explain where the name comes from shortly, but when I put Frank together and had him running, it, I could sit there and watch Frank run for hours because it was, it was mesmerizing to watch this thing that I'd put together um, perform this coordinated dance that then produced a 3D object. It was amazing, absolutely amazing. So, okay, so let's just backtrack a little bit. So Frank, my Delta printer, um, I found online, I, be, I became, uh, I conversed, conversed? No, I became aware of um, Thingiverse and I was able to find plans for a style of printer called a Rostock printer, which is an open source RepRap style printer and I was able to purchase some 3D printed parts from eBay. Uh, I bought some linear rods from a supplier in China. I, I bought the motors from a completely different supplier in China and the Ramps 1.3 board Arduino uh, Mega combo again from another supplier in China. So this wasn't a kit. This wasn't something somebody put together for me. Packaged it up nice and neatly in a box, wrapped it up in a bow and provided it to me with a nice set of instructions. This was something that I was researching. I was finding the component parts and I hacked him together, right? The frame had to be made out of ply. Um, and Frank got his name because he was Frankensteined. He was Frankensteined together. And it, it amazes me to this day, how the hell a dumbass like me was able to put together a Delta printer, get it working and have pretty bloody good results, right? That, that just blew my brains. I just couldn't believe it. So, again, the, the whole problem of having no money uh, was a big issue. And I didn't have anything for an extruder, which is the device that pushes the plastic 
into the printer and through the, the hot end and I also didn't have any means to hold the hot end so what did I do uh, I did what any newbie would do and open up uh, a, a modeling software create your own and draw with a pen with the 3d printer that you just made the parts that you need <laughs> so, so I open I, the, the, this is before I got really, really into modeling and knew what I was doing. The, the modeling software that I got my hands on was something called OpenSCAD. Now, the reason I got my hands on OpenSCAD was, what, first and foremost, it was free. Um, the second, well, I didn't know any better, did I? So OpenSCAD is very much a technician's dream for modeling. If you like programming and you like 3D modeling, you'll like OpenSCAD because you 3D model something with programming language. You don't draw it, you don't sketch it, you define it by a series of logic statements and XY coordinates. And it's pretty it's a pretty challenging application to use. But I was able to make a an extruder. I was able to make a hot end holder and I got it to print I got it to print that sh the, the shapes that I needed onto I think it was six millimeter plywood and I cut those pieces out with a jigsaw and the hot end holder was was absolutely fine it worked out really really well it was all it was was a disc and a hole in the center and it was split down the middle and that worked really really well the extruder though was a little bit more challenging and there was a little bit of hot glue in there there was a set of uh, crimps or grips lockable grips to hold the damn thing together now it was held together long enough for me to 3d print a replacement and that's it did its job and I still have that part to today for posterity so to, in total, the 3D printer cost me about £300 to put together, end-to-end. -end. Um, now, when you consider that at the time, kits were probably anywhere between £800 and uh, £1,200 just for a basic kit. And we're talking sort of like Prusa uh, i3-style printers. I think I did a good deal because not only did I get a 3D printer out of it, I also got an education. As frustrated, let me tell you, there were times that I just wanted to throw that thing out the window and it was so, so frustrating. But looking back, coming through that frustration, I was able to learn how these machines work I understand them very very well so diagnosing problems mechanically is is really really straightforward for me I have a logical process that I don't necessarily I may not look I look at a print and I may not know what it is but I know the logical process that I am going to do to one isolate my variables and change them, you know, so, so they're static, so things don't change. And 
and I changed each of the variables independently until I find the one that's causing the problem. And it's methodical, it's a methodical process. And that accounts for a lot of my successes, being logical and methodical. It's not a case of I remember stuff, it's not that I'm smart, it's the fact that I'm logical and methodical. And if you could do that, you could do it too. There's no, no reason why anybody can't do it. And that's, I guess, the moral of my story, in the sense that some people say, oh, you've got such and such a printer, you've got this, that, and yeah, but I've been in a place of scarcity. I have been in a place where I didn't have a 3D printer. I saved up and I bought the components individually. And I, through sheer grit and determination, I willed Frank into existence. Both in its physical sense and also from a from a mental sense of being able to, you know, to actually think out what I need and actually put it together. So in that respect, anybody can do it. Don't complain that you can't do it. If you're complaining, you're not hungry enough. Because if you're hungry enough, you'll just get off your ass and do it. Get whatever it takes. So, have I got to say we're approaching the half hour mark so that's interesting I gotta keep going until I get to my place of work I think so right now I've got a CR10 3D printer and I'm currently working through doing some upgrades That's my car complaining. so I'm currently working through some upgrades I'm doing some belt tensioning upgrades which is not stock on the CR10 I don't know why but why wouldn't you want to tension your belts so there's lots and lots of uh, well-designed things on Thingiverse for most printers actually not just the CR10 so I'm improving belt tensioning the next thing I'm going to be doing is upgrading my hot end I've currently got a, a, a stock form factor hot end on the CR10 but it's an all metal hot end so I can print really really hot materials um, a stock hot end on a CR10 has a PTF liner which after a certain temperature starts breaking down so that's where you use uh, an all metal hot end it's for printing like more exotic materials things that need to get a lot hotter than things like PLA stocks the stock settings and stuff things on the CR10 break PLA but there are more materials in this world than just polylactic acid so I've got an E3D V6, and I will hopefully be upgrading that soon. Uh, I'm currently in the process of printing the mounts. I actually have the mounts printing right now. I've printed the park cooling mount 
for it last night. So yeah, fingers crossed we're going to be getting that upgrade done soon. But as part of that upgrade, I'm also going to have to load the a new firmware onto the printer, which is not straightforward. So the firmware is software that controls the printer. And at the moment on my version, it's closed source. There's not what's called a bootloader on the main board. Um, so I'm gonna have to burn a bootloader to it, which is a programming, that's programming terminology. We're going to write a piece of code to the, the printer to allow it to accept firmware updates thereafter through the regular port and not be so damn complicated. But I want to get everything printed and ready to go before I start taking this thing apart because if, it long, if it's going to take me a while to do this, I don't want to be stuck with that printer when I need a part made. So I'm going to get all those parts lined up, ready to go, and then we can do it. So, yeah, as you can probably tell from this podcast, that my thoughts are very scattered. I think I want to try and use the podcast to try and become a little bit more self-aware. I would like to focus my thoughts a little bit more and I would like to I would like to gain some traction on my projects. I've got too many projects that are not complete. Hence the title of this podcast. It's a little bit of a tongue in cheek making fun of myself. So I'm going to be putting out a lot more content, both in podcasts. I haven't decided the frequency of this podcast right now, but as Gary Vaynerchuk says, you just got to get on and do it. Just do it. What's your excuse? So I'm doing it. And hopefully through making these podcasts, I'm going to get better at it. Ideally, I'd like to make this a daily podcast, and not because I've got so much to say, but I think it's about practice, 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 practice. The more I do, the better I get. The better I get, the more I do. I've got to think about what I'm going to talk about tomorrow. Damn, I know for sure I'm going to cringe like hell if I listen back to this. Do I have the guts to even post this? I don't know. The fact that I'm recording it is one thing, I suppose. 
journey to my place of work is so much fun. Like not. I'm currently doing 10 miles per hour. Just crawling along in traffic. Talking to myself. Right, I'm calling it here. So, where can you find me? So, I'm Inquisitor's Work on Twitter. I'm the IQ Workshop on Facebook. I am twitch.tv forward slash IQ Workshop on Twitch. And I'm IQS Workshop on Instagram. Now, I know, I know, I broke the cardinal rule of having all of my social media outlets named the same. But I'm a dumbass. And this is the first time that I ventured out to doing anything like this. So, yeah. You can also shoot me up. Shoot me up. You can also find me on my website, which is www.theiqworkshop.com. And the whole reason I have any form of social media presence is to inspire my two sons to become creators themselves rather than just pure consumers. There's nothing wrong with consumerism, but pure consumerism, you're just being led by the nose. And I don't know if you've noticed in the UK right now, we're going through some very interesting times on a political front. Who knows what the next five to ten years is going to look like? Who knows what it's going to look like in the job market? Who knows what my boys will do? Hopefully, it's to be a, a creator, not a consumer. I think there's opportunity, I think there's scope if you're properly properly placed to take advantage of the situation. I think there's going to be a need for homegrown product development and manufacturing. But who knows, we should... Is the world going to end after Brexit? No, no it's not. It's going to be more challenging. episode one done I'm gonna have to think about episode two what am I gonna talk about for 30 minutes I'm not even thinking about production value not yet too early but if you stuck around listening to my story for that I will be Because remember, the most valuable thing you can give somebody is their time. In fact, the most valuable thing you can give somebody is your time. You all have a finite amount of time. 